On paper, you'd think this was going to be one hell of a train wreck. But then you listen, and you realize common sense doesn't have a party, an ideology, a stereotype, or a color. Can we be united again? Stick around, and we'll prove it. This is Doc in the Block. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doc in the Block podcast. I hope everybody had a, a great week. Normally, my partner in crime, Big Block Spencer, is not here today. He's out doing some music producer stuff, but we got our other main man, Veron Haynes. Veron, how's it going today? Everything is great, Doc. Thanks for having me on, and I am excited about this guest. So uh, what's been going on with Justice? He came by the uh, office this week. He did a little spot for Barbara Orthopedics, and uh, for those of you who don't know, Justice Haynes is going to be the... uh, Number one running back at Alabama. He's our. Uh, he's just an absolute stud, but he's also a smart guy, good looking guy. He just did a commercial for Barber Orthopedics, and he couldn't have been more charismatic and amazing. I know you're super proud. We are, man. We're extremely proud. More importantly, uh, we with the football stuff. We uh, besides the football stuff, he is a a student, and he was on the the dean's list. Um, so the president's list, should I awesome. say, the president's awesome. list, which is a, a accomplishment that I never achieved. So <laughs> I can be more proud of him and and his hard work and his his achievements. So that's awesome, great. man. Well, today I'm super excited. We have an amazing guest today, the governor of the great state of South Dakota, uh, Christy Noem. Uh, governor, thank you so much for being part of the show today. Absolutely. My honor. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, well, this is really awesome for us. Uh, I know you have a super busy schedule, and the fact that you're able to carve out some time for us is uh, really uh, meaningful, and we we appreciate it greatly. Let's dive into the show, because I know, I know you have a, a tight spot, but you know, here you are, the governor of a state. I mean, not very many people accomplish that level of success and you're still very young. Tell us about your story. How did you get to where you got to? And, uh, you know, I'm sure it wasn't a smooth ride. It never is. But tell us uh, tell us the secret of your success. Well, now you're my favorite because you called me young, very young. So I'm going to I'm going to keep that one all day. Um, you know, I would say, first of all, uh, you know, that I'm pretty normal person growing up. I grew up on a ranch in South Dakota. I don't know if any of your listeners have been to South Dakota before in the middle of the country. It's not a place that a lot of people have visited unless they've come here to see Mount Rushmore or to tour the Black Hills. Um, Our number one industry here is agriculture. So I think I grew up like most of the kids in this country with a family um, going to school every day. Um, I went to. I grew up in a family that went to church every Sunday, every Sunday night and Wednesday evening. So faith was a big part of our family, and we worked very hard all the time. I never um, had anybody in my family that was involved in politics. So the fact that I'm governor today is very weird. It's very strange. In fact, to my whole family, it's still very strange that I do this job. Um, you know, I was going to grow up, and my dream was going to be to work with my dad. For the rest of my life. He was kind of my hero. He was a cowboy. He was super tough. And uh, when I got out of high school and college, I just wanted to come back and farm and ranch with him. He was one of the biggest um, farmers in the state of South Dakota. We, we had a very large operation. We planted a lot of crops, had a lot of cows, had a lot of other businesses too. But when I 
was in college. Um, my dad was killed in an accident on our farm. So at the time he was 49 years old, which was pretty oh, devastating. Man. He was young um, and uh, it turned my life upside down. I ended up quitting college, coming back and becoming the general manager of all the businesses. And that's when my whole life changed. Our whole family now kind of talks about our life in two sections. It's, well, that was before dad died or that was after dad died because everything just changed. Um, You know, my life quit. I came back, took over all the businesses. We got hit with taxes, which at that time, there was a federal law that said if somebody died, they had to pay taxes on everything that they owned. Well, we had thousands of acres of land and machinery and cattle and a lot of stuff, but we didn't have any money in the bank. But the government figured out how much all of our stuff was worth and said we had to pay 55% of that to the government. And it was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that we didn't have. So immediately I'm 22 years old. My dad died. I have several businesses to run, had to quit college. And then I had this bill to pay, taxes to pay to the government that I couldn't pay. I had no way to do it. I I remember driving around for weeks trying to get banks to loan me money trying to get people to help me so I could pay those taxes, ended up getting a bank to do some of it, but then getting a a wealthy farmer to loan me the rest. Um, But it took me 10 years to pay off those taxes. It made it very hard to keep our businesses. So it made me mad. So people ask how I got involved in government and politics is that made me mad. I couldn't believe we had a tragedy happen to our family. And then the government tried to take our family business after it. So I just started showing up at meetings. I was raised by a family that said, we don't complain about things, we fix them. And so I couldn't just be mad and complain. I needed to show up at meetings and tell people that this tax was unfair um, to do this to people when they lose somebody. And uh, that's how I got involved. People started asking me to run for office because I guess I was noisy. At the time, um, they uh, got appointed by a U.S. senator to oversee all the federal farm programs in the state. I ran for the state legislature, got there, and realized that leadership controlled everything. So I decided I was going to run for leadership and got elected to be the assistant majority leader in the House and then was recruited to run for Congress. So very, very strange situation uh, that I ended up running and in, in being in D.C. You know, my they for two years tried to talk us into running to be in Congress. And my husband and I were dead set against it. We had no desire to be politicians. And they kept coming back and asking us. And finally, I said to my husband, uh, there was a there was a moment in time that I felt like God was specifically telling us we needed to do this or we were being disobedient. And I said to my husband, maybe we just need to run. And if we lose, when we lose, then they'll leave us alone. And, and that was really... Um, <laughs> A big moment in time where we decided we were going to run and be obedient, and we we won a race that we were never supposed to. Ended up in Washington, D.C. But now as governor, you know, South Dakota had never had a woman governor before. Uh, I'm the first one, and it was very strange. It was a very tough race to convince South Dakota that a woman could be governor. It was interesting. I was in Washington for eight years and decided to run for governors to be governor because governors are CEOs. They're the boss. And I was kind of used to being the boss in uh, all of our businesses and it fit my personality better. I wanted to be home more with my kids. So when I jumped into that race, 
you know, we polled the race, asked people in the state, and overwhelmingly the people of South Dakota were not ready to have a woman be governor. We're very old-fashioned a little bit, but that was going to be my biggest hurdle was convincing people that a young woman like myself could step up and be the boss of South Dakota. But we won and have been doing some big things here that are really special. And it's every day I wake up and I'm just surprised that I'm in this job, that I'm a farm girl um, that just wanted to drive tractors and chase cows her whole life. And and now I'm getting the chance to do some big things in a small state that not very many people used to pay attention to. You know, that, that just right that there is amazing. There's a lot to unpack there. You know, we, when we talk to a lot of our guests, you know, we have similar underlying, um, uh, you know, the way their life plays out, you know, people have opportunity that comes right on the back end of tragedy. And that's what we're always trying to encourage our listeners to understand is that whatever the circumstance you're in at the moment is not going to be the circumstances you're in and in for the rest of your life. And it's just keeping your head down, moving forward, honesty, integrity, accountability, hard work, and things tend to work out. And, uh, you know, the other thing is when I think about my own life, you know, what would I attribute whatever success I've had to? And it's, I think it's that I had a father who was there to tell me when I was down that don't worry, just get up and keep moving forward and it'll work out, you know? And when I was young, I had to rely on my father. And then when I started to see from my own life that like, it actually does work out, you know, you keep moving forward and things tend to work out when you keep working hard. Um, the other thing is faith. You know, there are things in life, especially in medicine. I came to my faith probably a little late in life, at least my strong faith, and it's because I see all of the struggles that people have out there that are really unimaginable. You know, my father would always tell me the greatest gift I ever got in this life was my health. And then the second thing was being born in the United States of America. But um, did you ever feel like being a woman was a handicap? I got two daughters and, you know, I talked to them about, listen, life is full of obstacles. We all have them. And no matter what gets put in front of you, you figure out a way through it, around it, under it. Did you ever feel like, oh, I'm a woman, it's a handicap, or how did you manage that? You know, that was what was strange was that um, in my family, uh, we were all treated the same. So we we worked together all the time. I had an older sister that, you know, helped my mom a lot and was in the house probably more than I was. I was the third child, and I had two other brothers. So it was girl, boy, girl, boy. I was the third, and I loved to be outside. I remember being 10, 11 years old and All I wanted to do was be outside with the animals, um, you know, hunting, fishing, working, building fence, whatever it was the boys were doing. So I remember being very young and thinking, I wish I was just a boy because people think it's so strange that I like doing all this stuff. I remember being the fact that I was a tomboy and um, people thinking that it was strange how much I loved doing everything that in our world that most of the men were doing. So I started driving you know, semis and trucks and tractors from the age of 11 and 12. And, you know, those and and then working in that role. And I oversaw our, our cattle business and raising horses from the time I was 15, 16 years old. And I was always surrounded by men. So every job I've ever had, even when I came to the legislature, very few women in Congress, I was one of the very few women um, as governor now, not many women. So I would say, Yes, you can look at it as a challenge because you're always trying to get people used to seeing you in that group or in that situation. But for me, too, I've recognized that at times it's had opportunities. 
So, Scott, have you watched the movie Yellowstone, the, 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 the series? <laughs> so I'm looking. I'm is I'm I'm all I can see is you kicking ass, like you know her her daughter, and like boop, 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 trading punches. You, is, yeah. Would that be a, a, a good representative <laughs> of who you are when you step up against I, those men, like yeah, ooh, knocking I've, them down? Uh, I've had probably fifty people send me those T-shirts that say "Don't make me go <laughs> Beth Dutton on you." Apparently, a lot of people in this country think I'm a lot like Beth Dutton. She's got a little different language and lifestyle than I do. But, um, but yeah, that I felt like they honestly took Yellowstone and turned it into my life when he ran for governor. That's awesome. I was like, that's so what are awesome. they doing? They're taking all the fun out of this. They're making him the governor. See, but that's 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 so cra- crazy because that's a great perspective and reality. Let me ask you something, Governor. Where uh, were there any specific individuals, right, in, in, and or mentors? Because a lot of this show that we tried to tell these adolescent kids, like, yeah, you got to find somebody to mentor, bounce stuff off of, get some, write it down. All these encouraging thoughts process to these uh, middle school kids. Mm-hmm. Were there any mentors that impact you profoundly and kind of resonated with you right now that you can see in your kind of leadership and your work style that, that is on display right now? You know, I would say, um, so I probably don't have the best answer for this. I have several moments in time where something somebody said to me changed everything. For instance, mm. when I was about 12, my mom, I, I was very insecure, very low self-esteem. I didn't talk. I'm, I'm an introvert, which most people don't really know. I love people, but, um, you know, if I'm going to go out and do something that's relaxing for me, I'm probably going to go sit in a tree stand. I'm not going to go to a <laughs> reception or party or something. But I remember when I was about 12 years old, I remember feeling like I had no value at all. And my mom sat me down at the kitchen table and she got out her Bible and she read to me Deuteronomy 28, 13. And she said, um, this is how God sees you. He sees you as the head and not the tail above and not beneath. And she said, it doesn't matter what you think of you. This is what God thinks of you and what he says you are and declares over you. And you need to start opening your eyes and seeing you what he has called you to be. And I remember I bought it. I mean, I was just like, I remember the the next day thinking about myself totally different. And my mom said, you were like a completely different young girl the next day. And from then I went on and, you know, I was played in every sport. I was good. I was a cheerleader. I was a national honor society. I, I went on and, you know, was just did everything. And, and, but I think people forget about um, that words have consequences. The words we speak can have the power to change a life or they can put a thought or, or put a something into somebody's head that can be detrimental to them for a lifetime. I specifically remember one old older gentleman that just stopped me one day and said, you are such a beautiful young woman inside and out. And he had no reason to say that. But for me at that point in time, when I was 12, 13 years old, I remember thinking, why would somebody think that? And, you know, so moments like that, I think make a world of difference. And then I had a dad that, gosh, I just, I kind of thought every day he was trying to kill us. You know, he, he, we worked all that. He woke us up every day by yelling up the stairs get up more people die in bed than anywhere else. So, you know, we just got up and and worked all the time, but he gave us impossible things to do. So I would, I would say that 
most of my life lessons came from lessons taught that were hard where Mm. he didn't never taught me to drive a semi. He was going down the road one day driving it. And I was 12 years old. And he said, he remembered he had to take the other truck home. And he said, Christy, jump over here. I'm going to get out, take your corners wide and drive this thing home and, and jumped out the door. And I remember grabbing the wheel and driving the seven miles back to the farm, taking the widest corners you'd ever seen. I don't think I shifted once. And I, <laughs> I got into the yard and I couldn't, I didn't know how to stop. So I, I remember just turning the key off and letting the semi stop. And I remember thinking the first thought was, I cannot believe that I lived. And Solving problems. <laughs> the next thought that I had though was, I bet I can drive anything. And yeah. I bet I can drive it. And I was never scared to drive anything after that. And I think what he was doing was by giving us impossible things to do, teaching us to be problem solvers. And then when when we accomplished that, it gave us the confidence to take on the next bigger thing. So I think a lot of young folks think hard things are bad. I would say there are opportunities for us to overachieve. There are opportunities for us to figure out a problem And then it builds your confidence to take on the next harder thing that comes. So we need to change our perspective on how we look at hard things that come your way. My father used to tell me that in the real world, uh, you know, people can be beautiful. People can be smart. People can be born with great athletic ability. And he goes, none of those things we can really control. You know, they're God given. He goes, but the one thing that really separates people out in the real world, the real successful people are people who are hard workers. And those that's the one thing that is in your control. Mm-hmm. And I remember when my father said that to me, it was like suddenly everything felt possible to me because I stopped thinking in terms of what I don't have and you know the gifts that I don't have and started feeling like, gosh, I can control my destiny. And now that I'm you know old looking back on things, it's like if I could just put that into anybody's head, that you control your own destiny, that no matter what obstacle is put in front of you, there's a way around it and you hold the key to that success, man, you, you, you know, the sky's the limit. And, you know, it's, a, it's always amazing. Here you are the governor of a state, maybe one day president of the United States. I mean, you know, you started off as a farm girl in South Dakota. You know, I can imagine there was a time in your life when that was just the furthest thing from your mind. But one thing leads to another. You mentioned something that is really amazing to me as a business owner, as somebody who's been bankrupt. I have probably the most expensive business degree ever. I learned it in real life by just failing at it, not knowing what I was doing. You're in college and then all of a sudden you have to run your dad's businesses. I mean, I don't think people, you know, if you haven't run a business before, you don't know like how meaningful that is. Tell me what that was like. Well, it was interesting. We, because uh, my mom was still there, but she had never really, you know, been involved in the business side of it or worked outside. She was very much a partner with dad, but it, she was overwhelmed with what all was happening. Uh, my older brother and sister eventually, within a couple of years, moved home. My younger brother was still in high school when dad died. So people were kind of in and out, but we, we had a consultant come in and, and talk to all of us, and he recommended that I become the general manager and, and take over and make the management decisions. It was it was a lot, but for me, I remember um, being excited by it. I've I've always, and my husband will tell you from the moment he married me that you know I always am looking for something harder to do. He he just says, "Could you just once pick the easy thing?" So. For me, it, it was good. I like working. I like working a lot, um, but it was hard. It probably took me 
I remember about 12 or 13 years after dad died, sitting in the office one day and my sister saying to me, you know, I'm surprised you never finished college because you finish everything you start. And that stuck in my head. So I decided to go back to school and ended up finishing my degree then. Um, I think I actually finished it up and graduated the first year I was in Congress. So it took me a while. I kept taking classes all the time because some of them I had to drive a couple hours to the classes three times a week, but got it done and was very proud of the fact that I didn't quit that thing either. I, even though it took me a lot, many more years than I planned on that I wasn't, I didn't quit. And it was something that I could say I, I finished. How profound, no excuses, hard work, finishing what you start. Those are all stuff that resonate with, that should resonate with our clientele and these, this audience that we're trying to, 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 to achieve uh, greatness out of the next generation. Let me ask you this, Governor, if you were to go back to your 14 to 16 year old self, what knowing what you know now, what would you what advice would you give to yourself? Oh, just to quit worrying what other people think about you. I think I've spent my whole life being a people pleaser, which is a nightmare. Um, if there's if there's one way that someone that age could just focus on pleasing God and living a life of purpose boy, their life would be so much happier than mine was probably at that age, you know? Um, and then my grandma gave me the advice later on when I first became a mom to, she said, Christy, say yes, as much as you possibly can. Cause so much when you're a mom, you have to say no. And, and when I look at my life, everything I'm doing isn't because I went and kicked down some door. It was because people asked me to do something and I just said, yes. And I made the decision that I, I didn't have to do it forever. If I was going to serve on a committee or go do a job, I, I said, well, I'm going to go try it and see if I like it. I don't have to do it forever. But um, all the everything that I've done in my life is because somebody asked me and I just said yes. And I think that a lot of young folks will do that when they're asked to do something. God will open doors. Go do it and try it. You may find a gift or a talent that you didn't know you had. You may find something that you think you're good at this and this is who you are. And God may take this gift and pull it out of you that you didn't even know was there that may end up being what you do the rest of your life. So, so take advantage of those opportunities. And you might even just go to that one meeting. You might go to that one activity and meet somebody there that will change your life forever. You might meet your mentor. You might meet somebody that will someday be your reference for a job. You might be meet your next business partner. So even though you think, Oh, I'm not interested in, drama club. I don't want to go do that. Well, go a couple of times. You may find out you're good at it. If you're not, you might meet somebody there that becomes a very important part of your life. That's an underlying theme of this show. You know, we always talk about the, the, uh, um, great shot by Tiger Woods that everybody knows about. He, he, you know, his tee shot goes off the green, terrible shot in the masters looks like, you know, miserable mistake. And now he's in it. And then the very next shot, he hits this iconic chip up onto the green. The ball takes 15 minutes to slowly roll into the hole. The Nike logos like hanging up on the lip of the hole for a couple seconds. And then it falls into the hole. And it's like such a great metaphor of life. Like right after the, you know, a terrible moment comes one of the most iconic moments of all time. And, you know, you see this underlying theme in your life, you know, your, your father passing, uh, but then that set the stage for you to take over the businesses and eventually become governor of the state. And, you know, who knows what the future holds, you know, I'm always trying to talk to my daughters about, 
um, you know, virtues and habits, you know, uh, we always refer to uh, Adam Smith in the wealth of nations. You know, he talks about there's no real difference between human beings in terms of intelligence or strength or anything like that. The thing that really separates people are their habits. You know, the early bird gets the worm and hard work, honesty, integrity, accountability. I've been going back and reading the classics to try and continue to better my own education. I was reading some Aristotle and, uh, Aristotle said that courage was the most important of all the virtues because without courage, none of the other virtues is possible. And I think that's really important about being courageous and to go out and experience the world, right? You miss a hundred percent of the shots that you never take and going out and, and engaging in life's experiences is taking shots. And if you have the courage to do that, that's when all the doors open. Kind of talk to me a little bit about um, becoming governor of a state. I mean, one minute you're not, and then the next minute, you know, you're, you're one of the most important leaders on the planet. Tell me what that feels like and, and how you deal with that. Uh, I would, I would say it's a lot of pressure. I, yeah. I, every day I try not to screw up and I know that sounds kind of silly, but, um, you know, I get very, um, I recognize that when, as a governor, you make decisions every day that are instantly implemented. And so I recognize that those decisions matter and that they're going to have a ripple effect and they're going to set a precedent that will have long lasting effects long after I'm gone. So um, for me, I'm a very dis- decisive person. I know I'm not the smartest person. I know I'm not the most talented. I know I work harder than almost anybody else that I know. Uh, and I over prepare for everything. So that's all good and helps me make the best decisions that I can. But a lot of, a lot of what I have every day in this job, I have to rely on wisdom and discernment. Um, and that's an important part of how I make decisions and, and try to do it in a way that I know it's bigger than me. There's, there's a conference room in my office in the Capitol that has the original conference table and chairs from when the Capitol was built and when um, I think he actually came out of the first governor's office, but the chairs are huge. I mean, anybody sits in them, even if Vernon sat in them, they'd be too big for him. But I've always wondered why these chairs were so big. And we got to talking to the South Dakota historian, and he said they designed these chairs for the governor and the cabinet to meet that big to remind them every day when they sat in those chairs and made decisions that the job was bigger than they were, um, that the job and the responsibility was a much bigger thing than they ever will be. And for me, um, you know, that's what I wake up every day thinking about is, is I want to leave this job with people still respecting the position, respecting what, what this job is rather than just respecting me. Um, and, and I think that I should be a reflection of, of what people hope their governor or their leadership could be. So, so for me, I would, you know, it's, I overthink a lot of stuff. So I think and ponder and always hope that people know my heart. In politics, people don't get to see your heart. Unfortunately, they think you are what the reporters wrote about you. And so that's what's hard for me, I think, every day is that people have this different perception about me that I'm just not. And uh, and I screw up. You know, I do. I make bad decisions, bad mistakes. I think my girls will tell you because I've got very strong girls. I've got a son, too, but he's he's a missionary and he's got such a tender heart. He's a strong person, but he's just got such a different personality. But my girls are decision makers and 
But I think they would have wished that I would have given them a little more grace growing up that because I gave them a lot of instruction, how they should live their life, taught them about virtues. You know, we we were in church all the time and working and doing sports and rodeoing. They probably today would say, you know, it might have been okay, mom, once in a while, if you told us it was okay to screw up. So I think that's a good thing for people that are your audience's age is to know that even if you do screw up and make a mistake, you can be redeemed. That 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 doesn't mean your life isn't valuable or that you can't go on and that God still has a purpose for you. So I think that is a message that I probably, raising my children, should have carried a little bit more with them. Um, I always loved them and, you know, they probably screwed up and stuff, but they they don't remember that message as much as they do the others. Yeah, that's a great underlying theme of our show is that we all make mistakes. You know, nobody's perfect. We all need adversity. Nobody's born into this world with automatic success and you have to implement the virtues. The other thing that really makes things possible, especially in this country, you know, we live in the freest society that's ever existed and freedom really does work in allowing people to reach their dreams and reach their potential. Talk to me about your thoughts about how freedom works. Oh my goodness. You know, that, that is the underlying responsibility that we have is to protect it. The sacrifices that were made to give us the life that we live every day, we will never truly understand. I remember standing in the rotunda, holding up my right hand and swearing on my dad's Bible to uphold the constitution. And it, and I could, I felt like I was specifically hearing God say to me, this is your only responsibility. All the jobs and things that will come at you, what you're saying right now is the only responsibility that you have. So every decision that I make comes back to, I took an an oath to uphold the constitution of the United States of America and the constitution of the state of South Dakota so how does this decision line up with that? And if we have a family, if you have a, a faith, you always line everything up with the word of God too. Um, but, but for me, that simplifies everything. And if you look at what people went through to give us that constitution, that foundation of the country, it's all about freedom. And, yep. and it is it all is. about liberty. And 100%. every decision I make is how can I let people have more personal responsibility for, for their life and do it in a way um, that that upholds this gift that we were given. So even if we do a, a workforce campaign, we're recruiting people to South Dakota now to get their dream jobs and we're giving them free education, free training, free licensing, uh, helping them move. Um, but but we're, we're, we're doing it in under the banner of Freedom Works here. That I believe we've lost the power of the work ethic in this country. People have forgotten the value of work. Yeah. And, and we go back to, and I talk about it every day in South Dakota, God created us to serve people. Yes. And our, we will be healthier physically, mentally, spiritually, if we are serving. We serve by doing, by working, by getting up every day and having a purpose. And, and when you give people that purpose to their job and that reason behind it, if they're much more fulfilled and happier, that's why our suicide rates are going down. Our overdoses are going down. People are happier here. We're growing at five times the national average. We have the lowest unemployment rate in the history of the nation. Um, you know, people are coming here by the tens of thousands, and it's because they want to be like us. They want to live like that. And I think that's a testimony that I, the rest of the country could really resonate with. Yeah. And that's a so perfect one of the other thing that we always talk about on the show, too, is giving back. Right. That's so profound. Right. To whom much is given, much is required. 
But more importantly, you give with an open heart and you, you really just because you're a good person. Right. And, 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 and without the intent of getting something for it. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, for our audience, what I want them to also understand is that right there is the key component. You know, hard work, all that stuff, it matters. Mm-hmm. But the, the part that people don't that, that I think young people miss is give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give and it will come back. Just don't worry about it. Just you do you you stay in your bubble. Do what you are supposed to do. Everything else will take care of itself. Can you highlight yeah, and, and in a world that is about instant gratification and stuff? Yep. And and so you know they they probably and then you live with this social media that's constantly showing you all this stuff that all your friends have. I tell people all the time. I'm glad I grew up when I did. I wasn't getting invited to parties and stuff, but I didn't think they were having parties. I just thought everybody was, you know, working with their families all the time. Now today, kids know when they're being left out. They know when their friends are getting new cars or new clothes or new electronics. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a spirit of, you know, you know, a little bit of greed that how can I get that for myself? So it's, it takes a strong inner discipline to remind yourself that, if you will give and focus on other people, God wants to shower blessings on you. I mean, people, I mean you, you will be blessed um, and you'll be blessed much more. You know, we talk about mental health challenges in this country. It will bless you mentally um, and even physically to continue to do that. If you'll be obedient enough or disciplined enough to give to other people for even one month, do it for one month. Yep. At the end of that month, yep. you'll say, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. And, and that's what I think is changing that that habit and that perspective for a short period of time. Don't believe me. I'm not an expert. Go do it for a month. And but I believe 100 percent that they would recognize that the giving is much better than receiving. I love giving gifts. I just do. I like to get them too. I'm that's kind of my love language. But I love to give gifts and make people excited about it and to, to do things for them. But our world is very much centered the other way, but our world is that way because it is seeking to divide us because then it can control yes. us more. I've never seen, you know, a media, a government, a, a world that that is trying to control people by fear. And, mm. and when they are motivating people by fear, it is to promote something that will have more control over them. And, and we need to walk in the confidence and the truth of why we were created and just do it. And um, I think we can break that fear. Second Timothy, Second Timothy 1 7 is a verse I said all through the last several years, you know, was God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power nope. and of love and a sound mind. And one that matters the most to me on that one, I, I think I've said it, there's been days I've said it felt like a hundred times to mice, but a sound mind. I have a sound mind. I can make a wise decision on this. So every time I start thinking, I have to react to a situation quickly. I remind myself that that's, I don't have a spirit of fear. I've got power, love, and I've got a sound mind. And that, that always calms me enough to where I can make a a wise decision. That's better. The underlying theme that we get from all of our big timers is that the most fulfilling aspect of life is service to others and happiness comes from gratitude. So I want to let all the big timers out there know honesty, integrity, accountability, have some courage to go out there and face, face your world and to try new things. Things, great things are coming your way. Faith in God, rest on God. He's going to lead us to where we need to be. 
Governor, I want to thank you so much for being part of the Doc in the Block podcast. You're a true big timer, and we're we're honored that Absolutely. you uh, gave us uh, some time. We know you're busy, so we're going to let you get out of here. Big timers out there. Thank you so us. much for your time. Thank you so much. I I I, I really enjoyed this one, guys. It, it was great. Thank you, Governor. I'm for honored to be time. with you. Anytime. We'll see you again big, soon. Yep. Big timers. Follow us on DocInTheBlock.com. BigTimers.com. We got a lot of big things coming up this year. And this, uh, actually, I think we got something coming up this month uh, with Diego Lima and the uh, Lima Brothers at the uh, MMA gym. So, Governor, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Big timers, we'll see you next time. 